Hello and welcome to the Goals and Glory podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison, and I am absolutely buzzing to get into this. All inspired by this book and the man who wrote it. It's going to be an absolutely cracking series. We're going to speak to the man himself, Colin, who wrote the book, literally wrote the book, and then we're going to talk to some of the characters that he meets and brings back into our memories and all those glory days that when we look back on, they just got bigger and better. And there was some pretty low lows, but we, and we'll talk about some of those, I've got absolutely no doubt. I'm really looking forward to this. It's going to be a great run up to Christmas. And it's all because of this man here, Colin Leslie. So without any more time being wasted, let's bring in the man himself. Colin, brilliant to see you. Thanks very much for joining me. How are you? Thanks, Bruce. Yeah, that's quite the intro. I'm fine, thank you. Looking forward to this, as you are. Well, I have to tell you, I remember someone once saying, we've all got a book in us, but I'm not sure what mine would be, but I think you've nicked it, because best day to beastie to Belgium is when I really fell in love with Hibs. My old man, season ticket holder, my mum used to go, my older brother's Hibs fans, but Hibs in the 80s was what gripped me what was it that took you to the 80s to write this book? It was my formative years. It was everything uh, was new to me, exciting, even though it was dreadful at times. I loved every <laughs> minute of it. It was fantastic. It was a different era. Things were different. There was no social media. Things were very real and raw. And, yeah, it was a hell of a ride. It was maybe more gory than glory, but, you know, what a chapter in Hibs history. Amazing, and but it kicks off, and the book obviously kicks off at the start of the 80s. George Best came to Easter Road. They, to put that into context, that's like us getting Ronaldo or Beckham <laughs> to come and play. Like, that's that's that wouldn't it happen now, would it? You've just broken the Ronaldo story. It's meant to be hush hush. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, well. I can't remember it that well. I do remember the excitement and the adults that were going to the games then that, you know, this is something, you know, they would try and impress upon you that this was something really special that George Best was turning out for Hibs. And yes, of course, he was past his best, sorry, no pun intended, but, you know, the guy had that aura about on that class, that mystery, you know, the mystery being whether he was going to turn up on a Saturday or a... Uh, you know, just stick in the North British with whatever party uh, happened to be there. But, yeah, I, I you know, I, I was lucky enough to watch him. I don't remember a lot about it because I would have been nine at the time. And to my shame, actually, my dad told me a few years back, he said that he took me to East End Park to watch George Best play for Hibs at Dunfermline. And I fell asleep at the game and I'd slept in the car on the way back and everything. So, you know, those should have been treasured memories, but Sleep was more important at that age for me. It just, just spoiled though, having someone like that. And I know, I mean, looking back with rose tinted specs, you're right. He was, he was past his best, and we didn't know who was going to show up. But just getting that chance to have a glimpse, of a bit of class like that, must have just brought so much hope to the Hibs support at that time. I mean, he, he, he literally got bums on seats, didn't he? He did, he did, and you know, it was well, it was probably feet on terrace and more in those days, but. Yeah, absolutely. Tom Hart was a bit of a visionary as chairman for Hibs and, you know, he quickly did the maths and saw 
if I signed George Best, I pay him whatever it was, you know, two grand a week, I think, which was, you know, huge money in these days compared to what the rest of the squad were on. It, like 10 times the gate of what they would have been getting. And, you know, people turned up to see George Best. And I think the players that were there at that time acknowledged that, you know, they're, you know, in the presence of a superstar. It must have been a cool thing to speak to the players at that time about George Best and and in the book they seem to have really loved him and he very quickly endeared himself to them. I think he was just a, a really nice guy and you know he was apparently quite shy just came in loved his football loved a drink too unfortunately you know that that uh, you know led him down a different path but you know a, a really nice guy to have as a teammate and good in the dressing room. And then, like, you go for almost the sublime but the ridiculous. You've got George Best, and then the book, you go from Bestie to Beastie. I mean, George McCluskey, and he's on, he's the front cover. I mean, talk, talk us through that story. That's, I, I remember that as a kid. I wasn't allowed to go to watch Hibs play Rangers or Celtic because my dad just didn't they want to put his wee boy through that. But I can remember this being headline news at the time. It absolutely was. I mean, to try and put it in the context, I mean, we're talking superstars again, and Rangers really, you know, it was a revolution in Scottish football for them to go out and sign guys that had just played in the World Cup for England. And Terry Butcher turned up at Easter Road that day. His previous match to that game at Easter Road, competitive match, was the one against Maradona, the Hand of God game. And... You know, I clearly remember it. You know, I'm talking about being wide-eyed, and I absolutely was that day. I was 14. It was a beautiful sunny day. There was 27 or 29,000 absolutely packed in Easter Road. Absolute manic atmosphere. And I think the Rangers players, the ones that they'd signed, like Terry Butcher and Chris Woods and Sunas himself, they expected some kind of hero's welcome. And, you know, within within a microsecond, they realised they'd walked into a cauldron and the cauldron just overboiled in Sunis's case, and poor George McCluskey was the victim. You know, George Beastie, as his nickname was at Hibs, a really good, honest player. Uh, you know, he, he was a clever player, led the line well, had a wee mischievous side to him as well. And I think, you know, when you look at the highlights of that game, there was lots of niggling off the ball, and he, he managed to press Sunis's buttons, but soon as his retribution was completely over the top and, and bordering on a really cowardly assault. It just and, and it's never been forgotten, has it? No, no. It was just an amazing game to be at. It was everything you want from football as a fan. It was just bonkers. And Hibs won, you know, against the 10 men. There's Graham Soonis sent off on his debut as player-manager the very first club game he's ever played in Scotland in his home city. You couldn't have made it up. Hibs are, are at the forefront of all these firsts, aren't they? <laughs> first <laughs> team, first team, for, and then bag we get a, a massive first for Sunis. And then the, the book finishes with, with Belgium. And getting back into Europe, now I can remember, you, you've been able to talk a wee bit about your memories. I can remember the absolute buzz of midweek football. The lights, it was pitch dark, it was freezing cold, but the excitement of going to a European night was something that a whole lot of people had never experienced. And I can remember my, my dad telling me how lucky I was. And 
those games were were just magical, weren't they? They were, they were. I mean, I'd be, I was the same as you. I'd been reared on these stories of Hibs in Europe, and rightly so. You know what a proud record they had in Europe. They, they'd beaten, they'd beaten Napoli, they'd beaten Liverpool at Easter Road, they beat Barcelona, they beat Real Madrid, albeit in a friendly. But you know, that that's what Hibs fans came to expect in the fifties, the sixties, the seventies, and then we went a decade without being in Europe at all. So to finally get there in the 80s, albeit at the tail end of the 80s, was great for the club. And they returned with a bang. You know, they, they had that great result against Videoton uh, of Hungary. And then they had the tie in Liege. So hence Belgium in the title. But I had turned 18 by that time. Or maybe it wasn't quite 18, but I certainly <laughs> had a baby. And uh, it was a hell of a trip. It was just brilliant. Any any fan that went on that trip and the one Anderlecht a few years later tell you just what, what great occasions and uh, brilliant trips they were. I can remember Hibs drawing Videoton and, you know, no internet. Dad, like, who are Videoton? Like, where are they from? <laughs> yeah. I, I think the, like, Chick Young maybe did a thing on sports scene about who Videoton were and where they were from and what colour they wore because we just didn't have any reference point. But it, was, it didn't matter. Hibs were yeah. in Europe. That was what was important. Yeah, I mean, some fans were lucky enough to go on that one, and I've spoken to a few of them, and by you know, by all accounts, that was just an absolutely amazing trip as well, and it was behind Iron Curtain back then. It, you know, there was visas involved, so to get through that and then get a more attractive tie, I suppose it was more accessible for people. We took a huge crowd to Lege, and it was just, it was pandemonium, it was brilliant. It was just, you know, everything you want from football, brilliant. Lethal on tour, lethal Liege. <laughs> and when when you're going through the book, I mean, I, I read it in no time at all. I absolutely loved it. it. It took me back to a really happy and what I thought simple time because I wasn't aware of anything that was going on because I was a kid and I just wanted to see those players play on that pitch in those colours. That was what I got excited about. But some of the stuff that was going on off the field... Like it's not if it was in a soap opera, you'd think it was far fetched. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Hibs were training on public parks, literally public parks, and often getting chucked off by the parquet. That's how bad things got because the club was skint; it was on its knees, uh, certainly in the sort of early to mid eighties. And Hibs just had to do their best. They had that spirit about them. They had a lot of good players. You know, people write us right off the eighties as you know, a really mediocre Hibs team. But if you look at some of the players we had down the years, it, it was, you know, we, we had a high standard of player. It's just that the Scottish League was absolutely top class at that time. You know, you're competing with Aberdeen, who won a European trophy, Dundee United, who nearly won a European trophy, Celtic, Rangers, a good hearts team, who nearly won trophies but didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was a tough league. <clears throat> yeah, I remember that that Dundee United team. One of my primary school mates, a big Dundee United fan, and it it just seemed like it was out of this world. Barcelona and getting to a final, it just just bonkers. Well, that's but it. I mean, they were absolutely outstanding teams, Aberdeen and Dundee United at that time. But the the Hibs, I mean, the book the 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 players that you spoke to on this ball over my over my shoulder here, it's got. 
John Collins and Gareth Evans and Mickey Weir and and these guys. I think it's even got the physio Stuart Collie on it. Like it's th- those were my heroes. They were absolute poster boys. I loved going to watch them. Who did you get a kick out of when you were when you were doing the book? Who who were you speaking to? Thinking I'm I can't believe I'm speaking to this guy about Hibs. Hey. In terms of being starstruck, there's quite a few of them. I mean, even going back to the start of the to Jackie McNamara, you know, a real uh, real leader. He was Pat Stanton, who was, had a spell as manager. That's why he qualified for this book, if you like. You know, you know, I, I don't think there's any Hibs fan who wouldn't get starstruck by Pat Stanton, but he's just the most down to earth, lovely guy. You know, he's absolutely Mister Hibs. Nothing, no side to him at all. Really happy to help. Same goes for all of them, you know, John Blackley. I could rattle off about 40 names, you know, they're absolutely great guys who are happy to talk about the club, who love the club, who love their time at the club and the special atmosphere that was always there, you know, regardless of the results sometimes. And there, there were so many, but I remember following Eddie May around the Asda at the Jewel. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not sure how many how many players are immersed in the community the way a lot of those players were. You know, it, it wasn't the Lisbon Lions. They weren't from a 10-mile radius of Celtic Park, but they were a lot of them were, were local lads that had ended up playing for their, their childhood team. Yeah. We, love, we always loved that, didn't we? We still love that. Yeah, I was surprised how many of them were Hib supporters growing up. Not, not that that was necessarily had to be a thing because, you know, Gordon Ray, I think, supported Hearts as a kid. Benny was a Hearts fan as a kid. Quite a lot of them were. It's going to happen in a place like Edinburgh. But, you know, when they become professionals and play for the club, as long as they're giving their all for the jersey, that's fine. Uh, but, yeah, you mentioned Eddie May, Big Hibby, Callum Milne, Kano, Gordon Hunter. Yeah, loads of them had Hibs in their blood and really wanted to go out and give their all for the club they supported as a boy. And, you know, that, that was obvious from their performances, I think. I think the... Some of the stories about players then, especially when they were young players, going through their apprenticeship and having to clean the boots, and that, but then getting a kick about in the gym, in the stand, and sometimes players would come down and play with them. Because it's your team, you, they, some of them must have been pinching themselves about where they were and who they were with. I'm sure they were. I, I remember the interview with John Collins, especially. It really got me how much he loved his time at Hibs, how important it was to shape him as a person. There was a guy from Gala Shields. He's probably a bit different than the rest of the lads because most of them came from cities, and you know they had players from the west that would come through. They've they've grown up in traditional football heartlands. John Collins was in a, a rugby heartland, and and you know probably. A bit, forgive me for saying this, but maybe a bit wet behind the ears coming from Gala, you know, out of town. But the guy threw himself into listen to every word of advice he was getting. Pat Stanton very quickly saw in him, this guy's got something special and he's going to, you know, play at the highest level. And so it proved. And when he talked about those days and learning his craft and doing all the hard work and staying behind after training just to, just have a chat with the lads or have a kick about or work on a technical aspect of his game. You can see why he went so far and others were like that too. They just lapped it up being around Easter Road and being around those older professionals, you know, guys like Alan Ruff, Eric Shadler, 
Alan Sneddon, Gordon Ray, Jackie McNamara. I mean, these guys were happy to pass down their knowledge. And it, it definitely, I said earlier on, hips were skint. So basically they had to rely on youth and you were in the team. If you're good enough, you were in the team. And Mickey Weir, Gordon Hunter, Paul Kane, John Collins, Callum Milne all got a chance and thrived on it. But guys, I mean, the names you're reeling off are the, the guys I was pretending to be in the playground. M Mickey Weir was just, he was just special, wasn't he? I mean, he was three foot tall, but skillful and had a massive heart. I remember when he went down to Luton, it was it was a weird thing. It was almost like a look what we've done and we've given somebody that chance, but we didn't want him to go. <laughs> That's right. He was a star man at the time, definitely. And when you saw Mickey Weir play for Hibs, you thought it was a certainty he'd play for Scotland. He was that good. I mean, unfortunately, he was hampered a little bit with injuries and his physique as well. You know, he used to be a target for big, Center halves and and big defenders, you know, they'd boot them up and down that uh, up and down that wing. But uh, what a player! Yeah, great, uh, great attitude, and he, he had an Indian summer at Hibs. You know, he managed to when he came back from Luton, he, he buckled down, he recaptured some of his old form, and you know what he did in the nineteen ninety one Skull Cup final was incredible. He was man of the match and. Yeah, good on him. Winning a trophy with Hibs, brilliant. Not not everybody can say that. Uh, I loved it when the when the shorts got long, they just looked ridiculous. <laughs> so Mickey, <laughs> they were they were far too long. I'm pretty sure they slowed them down a bit. Guy guys like John Collins, obviously, then comes back as a manager. So you, there has to be a sensible long in there. You, and you spoke to guys who didn't maybe quite fulfil their potential. Was that a tough interview when you're speaking to somebody who maybe didn't get everything they maybe thought they deserved or that they wanted to get? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it was. It was hard. They were all very honest and they really kind of dug deep in terms of re reflection on their time at Easter Road. I don't think anybody pulled the wool over my eyes and tried to, you know, overreach in terms of what they achieved at Easter Road. But good example of that, I think Callum Milne, who, you know, hard as nails defender, fans loved him, but there was a personality clash with the manager at the time, Alec Miller. The two of them just never saw eye to eye. And just about every one of Callum's teammates said, you know, that guy should have gone on and had 300, 400 games for Hibs and been an absolute legend, probably in the way Lewis Stevenson ended up. But it just didn't work out for him at Hibs, but the guy was a really good footballer. He, he went on to play for Partick and was really good in the juniors as well after that. Really nice guy, but it was difficult to hear how brutal he was on himself and he, he feels he did underachieve, you know, despite turning out for his boyhood club and playing in Europe and Callum was, Callum was you know, a top guy for Hibs, absolutely. And another example would be Joe Tortolano, who was brutal on himself, you know, to the point that you're like, stop it, Joe, come on, come on. You've got enough abuse from some of these guys on the terrace and don't start doing it to yourself. Uh, the, the Callum Milne stuff was tough to read because I think you said it at the start, your answer there about being honest. Uh, Callum Milne was, was brutally honest and it, it was quite tough to read because it obviously meant so much to him. He wanted to realise that potential that people thought he had. But Joe Tortolano, I mean, 
the the boo boys got to him, but what a cult hero that man is. I couldn't believe it when I got a chance to speak to him just recently. I'm, I'm messaging my mate saying, I've just had a chat to Joe Tortolano. I, I mean, Joe absolutely deserves his place. As I, I know it's overused, this cult hero thing, but in the case of Torto, absolutely, he's nailed it. I mean, he nailed Gordon Strachan in that testimonial as well, right enough, but... I think uh, Big Gordon Ray's still after him. I think he's still looking <laughs> over his shoulder. But uh, Tortolano, what an entertainer he is. He's, he's just uh, he's self-deprecating and you know, takes a mick out of himself. But don't forget, Joe's a good player too. And it's that thing in football. If you lose your confidence, it's hard to get it back. And Easter Road was a pretty unforgiving place in the 80s. And if you were struggling a little bit and you had a a handful of guys on your case, you would hear it. And if you're of a slightly, you know, sensitive disposition, it's going to affect your game. And sadly it did for Joe, but ah, he was, he's a top guy and he was at Easter Road for 10 years. You know, he was a good servant of the club. He continues to be a big heavy to this day. I uh, love him a bit. You know, it was a great interview to do. He's, uh, have you ever met another Tortolano? I've, I've I've never heard the name other well, than he's Joe. He's got. A I, I knew I knew that, but I've, yeah. I've never met another Tortolano. He's the only it's, he's the only Tortolano I've ever. Twin brother used to sign autographs outside the stand. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. I remember meeting Mickey Weir's wee brother. Uh, he he was a lot like him as well. He was a he was a wee poser, but <laughs> I Tortolano. I mean, there's talking a cult hero. There needs to be stories to become a cult hero. And you've already mentioned one. I mean, that Gordon Ray testimonial, I've, if I was to look hard enough, I'd be able to find the programme for that because that was a, as a kid, getting to watch Man United come. And Gordon yeah. Ray was my favourite player. I loved Gordon Ray. Man United come into his testimonial. It was an amazing thing. And then within the first few minutes, you like, what what has just happened there? And my dad's going, he, he can't get sent off in a friendly, he can't get sent off in a friendly, and then obviously gets a red card. Yeah, yeah, I remember it well. I mean, Hibs were absolutely flying at the start of that season, and it was a full house, and as you say, Gordon Ray taking a bow that he fully deserved. Alec Ferguson, a pal Alec Millers, brought up his strongest possible team on the strict understanding that there'd be no funny business. And then Joe just absolutely cement striking. I mean, it was a shocking challenge. It was... and I actually knew the referee, uh, George Smith, and he, he was a lovely man. He was a, he was a very strict referee, but there was no way he was letting that go. I mean, there was there was limits. I mean, lucky he never ended up in the high court, to be honest. <laughs> it's, it's such a good story. And as you're telling it in the book, there's so many more details to it about what happened after and what Alec Ferguson did, and it just it just unravels. It gets even better, and I'm I'm laughing out loud reading the book because it's triggering the memory of when it happened. But then there's bits to the story because it was no social media. You didn't find these things out, so reading it in the book was just so good. And then the other one for Joe, and when I spoke to him on the phone. I said, Joe, I've got I've got visions of you on the phone to me wearing just a tiny wee towel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, whatever floats your boat, Bruce. <laughs> I mean that that advert that was in the programme for the, the Tarrant Salon. That's with, right. Electric with Joe, Beach. 
Oh, it's just <laughs> so funny. And I mean, there's players that they just couldn't have sent to do that. Like the there was players in there you know have never been in a tannin salon, but <laughs> to send yeah. Joe Tortolano was an absolute advertising masterstroke. Yeah, yeah, he was a man. He was a pin-up boy. Maybe not for the guys on the terrace, but <laughs> the only yeah. man for the salon. It, it was just class. Now, uh, one of the ones that, another one of these childhood memories, watching that FA Cup final when Coventry beat Spurs, and, you know, the Coventry team, I think I remember seeing something after they didn't actually all have the same shirts on. They had different sponsors on because they were struggling for cash. And this guy, Keith Houchin, scores. I think it then was on the grandstand opening credits, the goal. like It was it was on repeat. It was an amazing goal. And Keith Houchin signs for Hibs. Like that, that was on a, it wasn't a George Best, but that was my kind of, why is he coming to Hibs moment? That, that was an amazing signing for Hibs. It was, yeah. I mean, he was a, he was a, a bit of a hero for a while. It, it did go downhill and turn sour at the end, as he talks about in the book. But for a while, yeah, he had his own song, you know, that everybody was doing the houchy houchy in Europe. And a cracking guy, you know, a really nice guy who speaks fondly and honestly about his time at Hibs. And, you know, he would have done things different. He was quite headstrong. But you're right, yeah, he was. Uh, he, he scored in the, the, the famous win against Tottenham one of the best-headed goals you'll ever see at Wembley. And he turns up at Easter Road and yeah, he put in a good shift for us. He was a good player. Uh, perhaps not in the same league as the other big signing at that time, of course, which was real kind of superstar stuff in the same league as George Best. And that was Steve Archibald coming from Barcelona. Your Steve Archibald stories are... Are magic, and if that was, if that was now, if that be, if some of that behaviour was now, <laughs> like that, you know, twenty four hour news, social media, those stories would have blown up all over the place. But it was just a different time. Steve Archibald signing is like, how, how does that come off? How do how do Hibs sign Steve Archibald? Yeah, well, I think credit uh, would go to David Duff and Jim Gray, who were the. The, the double act run in the club at the time, you know, it turned sour for them as well. That's uh, an understatement to say that, but they certainly didn't lack ambition. And for them to bring Archibald from Barcelona to Hibs, you know, even saying it now, uttering these words, Barcelona to Hibs, it just it just wouldn't happen now. It's unlikely to happen, isn't it? Uh, but yeah, like, like the carry drove, he was an absolute Rolls Royce at a footballer. He was brilliant. And the, the players, a bit like George Best, a lot of the players really liked him being there. There, there was a lot of positive stories oh, yeah. about I his time there. Absolutely. I mean, it's just about respect. And these guys, a lot of them had probably only seen Steve Archibald on TV and made snap judgments. And it's not the wall-to-wall coverage that you get now with analysis and slow motion. To see him on the training ground and to see with their own eyes what a fantastic footballer he was and his football intelligence was on another level. And he too was really happy to impart that knowledge and, you know, skill on some of the younger guys and took them under his wing. But another personality clash with the manager, unfortunately, in the end. And I think uh, nobody would doubt that Steve Archibald's got an ego and it needed stroked and probably Alec Miller wasn't the ideal man to do that. And while he, he got a tune out of him for maybe a season and a half, it was... 
probably always got to end in tears. But thanks for the memories, Archie. It was brilliant. <laughs> how how did you enjoy getting the managers? Because I mean, being manager of Hibs in the eighties was a was a pretty tough gig. Oh yeah. Uh, how did you enjoy that? I mean, I think you, I think you mentioned it in the book about you. You didn't really know what you were going to get. Yeah, it was a mixed bag. It, it, real sadness with Bertie Old. Uh, he was when I spoke to him. I, I spoke to him for one of my previous books, the one uh, the biography I did on Eric Shadler, and he was lucid then, and he was really engaging. But he was kind of quite deep into dementia when I spoke to him. It was really good of him to take the call and, and be happy to speak to me. But really sad to see you know a guy struggling with a, a very cruel disease and. Bertie was not a popular manager, it's safe to say. You know, you see that in the book. He he did a job, he got Hibs back into the Premier, but his methods were a bit cruel and old school, even for the 80s. And he made a few enemies in the team. And when you lose the dressing room like that, it's not going to work out. He was replaced by, well, Pat Stanton came in not long after that. And, well, as I say, Pat, you could listen to him all day. He he's he is Mr. Hibbs and really honest about his time. As was John Blackley. You know, John Blackley feels he's got huge regret that he never did better things for Hibbs. And that's probably a bit tough on himself given the resources he had to work with. And he too gave us some really good memories. We beat Celtic twice in both cups in one season. He took us to a cup final. He was in charge for that Sunas game. They played attacking football with guys like Gordon Dury and Steve Cowan. And I think there were some good memories under Blackley, but it was just, down, again, down to Hibs being skinned, not being able to get up the momentum needed to challenge the big boys. And, you know, he fell on his sword and had to go. So, you know, it was sad the way it turned out for Blackley. And after that came Alec Miller, and he saw out the 80s and well into the 90s as well. And his his interview, Alec Miller's interview, I I felt I felt that was a pretty honest assessment of how things went. Very honest man, definitely. Uh, like we gave him a real kicking in the fanzine back in the eighties, and uh, with a lot of justification for some of the football that was played, it was absolutely eye bleeding. You know, it was <laughs> it was tough to watch, but you know, I do factor in the fact that it was probably an angry young man there and then expecting the world from Hibs and it wasn't going to arrive. And when you listen to Alec Miller and see now and see what he was up against in terms of having to take home the kit and wash it himself and pretty much do every job in that place, you have a bit more sympathy for him and a bit more understanding of just how difficult a job it was and how committed to that job he was. So I wouldn't say I, I give him a, a complete pass for some of it, but you know, the, the guy like lives and breathes football, did a good, honest job for Hibs. In all honesty, was there too long, but he won us a cup for that. We're grateful. Uh, let bygones be bygones, I suppose, and uh, hopefully he'll do the same for me for all the <laughs> brick bats that chucked his way in the fancy. Yeah, he won us a cup, and what a day that was! And and it was an interesting thing as a Hibs fan watching Liverpool under Huli with Alec Miller yeah. sat next to him, and yeah. you're thinking, "Hang on a minute, is that yeah. is that the same guy doing I know. a similar yeah. job?" 
So I, think he, I, think, I think he was a great coach, you know, and people yeah. will say that, but he too had man management challenges and maybe didn't put an arm around players, uh, having come from that old school himself. He, quit, he fell out with a lot of players, and if he hadn't done, perhaps we would have built a really good team that we'd have done better, but it's all left spots, maybe it's Hibs is Hibs. It's always going to be a, a roller coaster. <laughs> That, that bit sums it up. Hibs is Hibs. You, you mentioned a player there, and there's another one I'm going to throw in. You mentioned Gordon Jury. I mean, what a what a play, and then for him to go on and do the things he did. And then Brian Rice, another one, who ended up going south. And, I mean, Brian Rice to go from Hibs to Brian Clough and Nottingham Forest. That was another one that, a bit like Mickey Weir going to Luton, we sort of, we watched with a bit of pride, but also a bit of, he could have been ours. Yeah, or he was a class player. I mean, uh, it was a big ask to go to Nottingham Forest, but he did well there and Clough liked him. And it was a measure of what a good footballer he was. He was absolutely gifted midfielder, maybe lacked a bit of pace. But yeah, it, Hibs fans took it badly then. Anybody that left the club didn't exactly go with a pat on the back. It was kind of like, oh, why are you leaving us? But you're not going to turn down Brian Clough and Forest and... Uh, he's remained a friend of the club ever since. You know, I think uh, he absolutely loved his time at Easter Road and, you know, gave me some great material for the book that I didn't really know, you know, just how involved and, and how much he'd learned from being at Easter Road. Yeah, great player. And uh, I were sad to see him go. And in the case of Jury, Jury was just, oh, he just burst onto the scene, you know, absolute flying machine. This man child really he was only 18 i think and you know yeah absolutely powerfully built explosive pace could score goals but we're never going to keep him in all honesty and uh, the team went downhill when we lost him yeah he was he was class like he's so powerful so strong and then he went on and he he did some bloody good things for other folk unfortunately uh You've mentioned the the dynamic duo off the field that that did things like bringing in Steve Archibald and uh, <laughs> you know they've they've sort of been hunted down a wee bit and but again in the I mean a, a masterstroke of the book to to speak to them and I think they gave you a pretty honest assessment of what happened. It was just David Duff actually. I think Jim Gray prefers to keep a a lower yeah. profile. Uh, I've got to thank Alan Patillo from the Scotsman for setting up that interview for me. David Duff, again, I, I hesitate to say he's an honest guy because people will argue otherwise, but he he certainly he didn't hide from how it ended for him at Hibs. And you've got to give him it that for a while they really injected a bit of razzmatazz to the place and, and really lifted it and bringing Steve Archibald and, and you know, the the song that they released. And it, we just felt like we had a wee bit of a, a buzz about the place. I think they overreached. They got overambitious. He perhaps got a bit too cocky. And he admits himself he was in a league with some people that were far more powerful than him. And, uh, you know, he had debts to pay back to them. They got their claws into Hibs and put, put Hibs in that position that threatened our very future but there is a whenever he mentioned David Duff he's a very divisive figure because people blame him for nearly costing us the club and letting Mercer succeed but 
David Duff's story, and I tend to believe it, is that he could have sold to Bursar, and that would have been the end of Hibs. And he does have his own story to tell. He's written his own book, which I've read the manuscript. I think that will shed more light on it. But unfortunately, it's in the hands of lawyers at the moment, and we'll have to see if it ever sees the light of day. But but I liked speaking to him. I, I felt that he he gave a very honest account of his time at Hibs. Doesn't hide from the mistakes he made. It was it was all part of that crazy period at Easter Road. It really was, and and thankfully we did defeat Mercer, and the club bounced back, and we've got the club that we we've, we've got today because we won that battle through hands-off hibs. And, yeah, I suppose uh, it's left a big mark on the the club's history, but, yeah, it's just all part of the the hibs story. Yeah, just made us stronger. I remember being a hibs kid and getting sent petitions uh, yeah. Through the through the mail and my my dad photocopying them at work and we we got we got loads of signature. I don't know if that had any bloody any oh, well, any impact it, on it. It, it maybe did, you know, because it, it needed everybody in Edinburgh to fight against it, and that includes heart supporters. You know, a lot of them played their part in it too. It just was the the absolute wrong idea, driven by the wrong man, and uh, it, it's just horrific to to know how close we came to going extinct there and then but I'm sure Hibs would have bounced back in some shape or form but it was worrying times definitely and David Duff puts his hands up that to an extent he was culpable for putting us in that position I'm sure on the petition it had name, address and then I'm sure it had the team that you support <laughs> was the last column I'm sure it did on the petition someday it's listening or maybe be able to correct me if I'm wrong but I'm sure it had the the team that you supported uh, Colin I, I love speaking to you I absolutely loved the book I thought it was class and, and from that has come this idea to uh, to have this series of podcasts Goals and Glory and and to talk about the, the hibs that we, we loved in the 80s of of the stories that you've told, is there a it's like picking your favourite kid, I suppose. Is there a is there a favourite story that you've told in here? Uh, probably probably the lesser known ones. I mean, certainly the the tour of uh, Haiti was something. <laughs> you know, you've got uh, voodoo witch doctors pitchside and twenty two man free for all, and Hibs having to basically rush to the airport and get out of there. With their lives intact, so that's a cracker. That I think that was the eighty-one. That must have been because Hibs had just won the first division, and it was part of the reward for bouncing back to the Premier. The other story I really loved, and uh, you get differing accounts depending on who wants to admit what. But when Hibs were on tour in Germany at the army base, <laughs> and if you watch at the moment the, the series, uh, the series Who Dares Wins with SAS, where they get hoods put over their heads and rounded up and interrogated. Well, Mickey Weir and Danny Lennon decided, because they, they knew a couple of the army boys, they decided to burst into some players' rooms that night, round them up, threaten them. And uh, apparently they were quite convinced, convincing, despite being like five foot four each. <laughs> That, uh, that, that, that kind of japes and what the players got up to it's all part of the camaraderie of football and they clearly had great team spirit and a lot of brilliant characters and stories like that really illustrate it I think 
uh, both of those are absolute belters. Who who goes on tour to Haiti ever? <laughs> uh, and then to have you know, or a or a military base to pull a stunt like that, you're <laughs> probably playing with your life there. But just but daft the, lads the, on tour. The, the Haiti tour. It was a tour of two halves because they were in California mixing yeah. with George Best just before that, and then they thought. I think they thought they were going to Tahiti. And they end up in some war-torn country that's uh, just on the brink of chaos, and Hibs get plunged into it. Uh, absolutely magic. So the the book is Best Day to Beast Day to Belgium. Uh, you can get it in Toppings Bookstore, you can get it in the Hibs shop, but you can also get it at bigcartel.com. Uh, it's it's well worth it. I got it on the website. I got it on bigcartel.com. Read it, loved it, reached out to Colin, and, and I was absolutely delighted when he agreed to come on. Uh, Colin, as we're, we're looking forward to now getting to chat to, to some of these players. Is there anything I should be mindful of? Tortolano. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, Joe, Super Joe. You I might have that. to turn that into a Netflix series or something. <laughs> he, he, he could be on Netflix. He's, he's good enough looking to be on TV. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm really excited about it, Colin. Thank you so much for, for the book and then for speaking to me and for hooking me up with some of these guys. And you're going to come back and we're going to finish off the series with another chat just to look back on, on the pods and how they've gone. So I'm looking forward to catching up with you again. Fantastic. Thank you, Bruce. Awesome. Thanks, Colin. I'll speak to you very soon. Will do. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. If you did, you can get us on Apple, Acast and Spotify. You'll be able to watch it on Facebook and YouTube. We'll put all the links in the information. Uh, what a great guy and what a great storyteller. And he did his best. I promise you that. It is an absolute cracker. If you're looking for a book or for a present for that special hibby in your life for Christmas, then this is the one for you. I hope you've enjoyed it. Tune in very, very soon because we have got a cast list of Hibs 80s superstars for you. I am so excited and I hope you'll be there to join me. In the meantime, my name is Bruce Aitchison and I look forward to seeing you all again on Goals and Goals.